Our Father, thank you that this world is not an accident. Thank you that we don't have to make you up. Thank you that you're a God who loves to speak. And thank you that the way in which you speak into a room like this, all kinds of people from all kinds of places, some have been Christians for decades, some are just looking in on Christian things. We thank you for the way in which you speak to everyone. Would you soften our hearts and open our ears to hear your voice this morning? And this morning, as with all of this series, as we think through these difficult things, the, the reality of the Bible calls sin, would we not shy away from the light, but rather come out into it and to head to the cross to be cleansed? Speak, we pray. Amen. Twenty years of um, tireless leadership from William Wilberforce on the February the 23rd, 1807, the, the House of Commons passed a bill that banned the transport of slaves. It, it wasn't the, the end of the process, but it was a big start. It would eventually lead to the abolition of slavery. And that evening, he gets home and he writes in his journal, verse 1 of Psalm 115. He says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory. As a Christian man, how did he get to that place? The place where, where despite his incredible hard work, despite personal dedication, two decades of labour, he genuinely didn't want it to be about him. He was just, he was just a footnote in the process. It was not for his glory. Because you see, I, I know my heart and, and you know your hearts. And when we're at our most honest, we, we love a bit of glory for ourselves, don't we? We might not verbalise it, but our elation or our anger or our daydreams or our, our nightmares reveal that naturally we're, we're, we're glory thieves. We want it, when we're honest, to be just a bit about us as well as being about him. And Psalm 115 is a psalm all about God's glory. It's a psalm that speaks to us of, of true worship and of false worship. And So at the heart of the psalm is idolatry, which is our, our topic for this morning. What I hope we will do as we work through Psalm 115 is, is to see how someone like William Wilberforce gets to that place where his desire was for God to be glorified and not himself. Charlie's already given us a bit of a heads up, but a reminder of what we're doing in these six weeks. We're doing something slightly different from our normal process at Magdalen Road. Rather than going through a Bible book or a chunk of a Bible book, we're, we're taking a particular topic. And that topic is sin, which might not sound like a cheery topic. might not be good for our PR but why look at sin? Well, we said last week a number of reasons, but here are two key ones. One is that in our popular culture, sin is forgotten. We're told to be tolerant. But where do we draw the lines on that tolerance? How tolerant are we to be? People are confused about absolute statements of right and wrong, of, of good and evil. And we're told truth is relative and then something like par Paris happens or, 
or Boko Haram in, in Nigeria. And so we're, we're, we're wary of using terminology like right and wrong and good and evil, but then we're confused because these atrocities happen. So sin is forgotten, but also for us as Christians, we must remember it is foundational. It's completely foundational to, to our grasp of who God is, his character, his purposes, his love for us, his grace, his mercy. It's foundational to the overall narrative, the big picture of the Bible as he deals with sin. And we said that sin was more complicated than we normally grasp. Alex was teaching the children that the language of sin is varied and diverse as you read the Bible. There are broad models and metaphors for us to grapple with and engage with. Sometimes it's law-breaking, sometimes it's relational, it's almost like adultery. Sometimes it's shame or, or uncleanliness. Sin is a complicated beast. So each week we're taking a particular model or a metaphor from, from a passage and then we want to feel something of the weight of the passage. We want to feel the reality again of our sins so that we, we treasure the gospel afresh. So we see the beauty of the cross, the glorious love of our God for us so that we will run to him and treasure him all the more. I probably don't need to say it, but we don't want this just to simply be a sort of dusty doctrine, because it's our daily battle. It's each of us. It's good to have doctrine, it's good for understanding, but the reality is it's you and me on a Monday morning. And this week it's idolatry. Idolatry is the way that we run to other things than God. We believe and we trust and we value other ultimate things that will promise us life or joy or happiness or salvation or rescue. They become, they become our functional gods. I take it when we put it like that. We, we all know something of the lure of idolatry. We've, we've talked about idolatry a few times at Magdalen Road, so if this is old for you, then forgive me, but I think it's a key one for, un- for us to understand, and particularly for us to get to grips with, partly because it's common in the Bible, it's right through the Old Testament and the New Testament, but partly because it's just common in our hearts as well. It's the reality of who we are. We're a people who are made to worship, made to relate to our Creator. But when He's removed from the equation, what do we do? We just worship other things. And even for the Christian, we're back into the relationship that we were made for, and what do we do? We, we worship other things. It's as if we're a sportsman, and we've had months and months and months in the physio room, going through treatment, and, and our leg is better, but we still limp. We've got used to limping, and it's hard to shed that limp now. It's habits. So if you're here as a Christian this morning, you are in that stage of needing to learn to walk again. You're better. You can begin to be the person you were made to be. Because we all still struggle and we still battle and we still veer off course. We're learning. Many of you will have heard of the um, American pastor Tim Keller. Um, he's a 
guy who ministers in New York. He speaks and writes very persuasively, particularly on things like idolatry. I can recommend his book, um, Counterfeit Gods to You, if you want to do some more thinking on this. But just a paragraph from him to try and encapsulate some of these ideas of, of idols being the gods that we worship. He says this, The old pagans were not fanciful when they depicted virtually everything as a god. They had sex gods, work gods, war gods, money gods, nation gods, for the simple fact that anything can be a god that rules and serves as a deity in the heart of a person or in the life of a people. For example, physical beauty is a pleasant thing, but if you deify it, if you make it the most important thing in a person's life or a culture's life, then you have Aphrodite, not just beauty, you have people and an entire culture constantly agonizing over appearance, spending inordinate amounts of time and money on it, and foolishly evaluating character on the basis of it. If anything becomes more fundamental than God to your happiness, meaning in life and identity, then it's an idol. Of course, when we read that, we think, well, obviously, but the problem is we have blind spots. And it's always somebody else's problem and not our own. One writer I came across this week encourages us to complete the sentence. So if I start the sentence, you finish it in your heart, in your mind. I want, I fear, I need, I expect, chatting to a few people this week, I want respect, I fear uncertainty, I need comfort, I expect you to listen to me, I want money, I fear being alone, I need security, I expect to get what I want, I want to be admired, I fear the future. I need to be noticed. I expect that promotion. I want a family. I fear not being in control. I need to be the best in my field. I expect to be a homeowner. Maybe you've done it before. There's some homework. I want, I fear, I need, I expect. Because often the answer to those things, which may well be good things, but often for us the answer to them are other functional gods in our lives, the things that we worship, the idols of our hearts. And you see, Psalm 115 was a psalm for God's people after they had returned from exile into the land. They had suffered a a huge military defeat, but they were back in the land. And so it was written for them because they were rebuilding the nation. They were rebuilding their livelihoods. They were rebuilding their worship. And the choice was, well, what are we going to trust for the future? Where do we go? And Psalm 115 was written for us because we live in a world of a thousand competing voices that offer us life. It's written for us because it's a daily battle to not trust those voices. And he is very straightforward And he is very honest 
as a psalmist. He gives us four reasons why it is stupid to trust idols. The first one is that God is real. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody has taken the credit for a piece of work that you've done? Maybe it's in your school days, someone borrows your homework, they do their homework off the back of it, they hand it in before you, they pass it off as their own. Maybe it's in the office, you give your boss an idea and they run with it and they say it's theirs and they get the credit. It's galling. Well, the psalmist says that's what the nations around Israel are guilty of all the time. It's what the world does all the time. The credit that rightfully belongs to God. We saw him last week. He's the one who made it all and he sustains it all. The credit that rightfully belongs to him is being given to someone else. And these are man-made idols. They are created things. But the psalmist says, people of God, give God the credit that he is due. And as the nations taunt and mock and sneer and we can hear them in our ears, where is your God? Show me the evidence. Prove it. Come on. The psalmist simply says, well, he exists. You might not be able to see him, but the evidence is there. We don't have statues and idols of him, but we're a people who worship by faith and not by sight. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Just as their problem as they returned to the land was to to live by sight and not by faith, well, so is ours. When everything screams, trust the tangible, trust what you can see, Jesus says, trust me, God is real. It's stupid because God is real. It's stupid as well because idols are false. Simple as that, that they're dead, they're made of inert, lifeless, raw materials, whether it's silver or gold or iron or clay, the, the material doesn't increase the power of the idol. There's no more life in silver or gold than in iron or clay. And behind every idol is a man that's made it. And how can an idol be greater than its maker? How can a man make a god? He, he can't. The nations say to us, we've made our god. We've constructed him. We've formed him as we wanted. The reality is, says the psalmist, no, 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 no. It's the other way around. They've made theirs. And the trouble is, as you read the psalm, the evidence points to this not simply being a psalm for the nations. It's a psalm for God's people. Warning them. Because their track record was not good. In the ancient Near East, when this psalm was written, all the nations surrounded Israel worshipped gods. They had images, they had idols. All their neighbours, so the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, closer to home, the Canaanites did it. And so when Israel enters the Promised Land and the Canaanites are removed, there's still a Canaanite presence there. Their legacy lives on by means of idols. Israel is tempted to go back. The Canaanite high places were there where they would go and worship. They would set up their shrines. But don't do as your previous residents have done, Israel. Don't worship like the Canaanites. They're false. As well as false, they're feeble. 
the reality of the situation is your idols are unable to help you. Have a look at verse 5 onwards. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell, they have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. They, they look like a man, but they can't do anything. And the people cry to them, but he can't hear them. They stand right before him, but he can't see them. They listen to him, but he's silent. They burn incense, but he can't smell it. They need help, but he can't reach out his hands. Their problem is elsewhere, but he can't get there. They're feeble. They are unable to actually help you. And yet this is the key thing. You see it in verse 8. Idols are fatal. This is a key verse from this psalm. So if if you're scribbling notes, then underline verse 8. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. So do you see, it's not that in becoming like this idol, that these idolaters actually lose their sense of speech or sight or anything like that. I take it as a description of the idolaters' souls and spirits. They become lifeless and senseless. They are spiritually dumb and blind and deaf and powerless and breathless. They become what they've worshipped. We worship what we like, but we become like what we worship. I take it if you're anything like me, you're just joining the dots to your situation and to our culture as well. Back then, people had the high places to go worship. Here, we've got it all the time with us on our phones or in our houses. We're we're a culture saturated by images. High-definition images, photoshopped images, moving images, accessible wherever and whenever we want. Images that promise us everything that our heart desires. And we believe them. We want beauty, happiness, security, value, relationships, worth, identity, power, control. So, do you see what this means? This means that if we worship beauty, perhaps we'll become vain and hollow and self-centered and the mirror will dominate our lives. If we worship money, perhaps we'll become greedy or oppressive or materialistic, whether for the stuff that we can buy or for the security that it brings us. If we worship academia, perhaps we'll become condescending and conceited and proud and driven to get more letters after our names, driven to churn out articles and books. If we worship sex, perhaps we'll become obsessed and porn will enslave us and rule us and ruin us, and ruin how we relate to members of the opposite sex. If we worship relationships, perhaps we'll be ruled by what others think of us. We'll be people pleasers, and our world will fall apart if relationships will go sour, if someone unfriends us on Facebook. If we worship control, perhaps we'll become increasingly controlling, seeking to control people or situations or environments. You see, what we worship not only reflects who we are, 
but it also will shape who we are. So a question then, to ask you or perhaps to get, for you to ask someone who loves you and cares about you, what am I becoming? What does who I'm becoming say about what I worship? What my idols are? What is shaping me? If you're a parent, why not ask your children? What do you think I care about? What matters most to me? What am I becoming? Like the Israelites, in a sense, we all know the lure of idolatry. Despite what the the idols actually are, we have hearts that run after things that promise us life, and despite the fact that they are false and feeble and fatal, we, we still run to them. Of course, the question for us, then, is what is the cure? Psalm 115 continues from verse 9 onwards by saying, Remember God. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Do you see, if idolatry is essentially false worship, what is the cure? It's, it's true worship. It's remember who the God of the Bible is. Israelite says, you return post-exile into the land. Don't be duped by idol worship. Remember who the true God is. Christians, as you battle daily with the promises of our culture, Don't be duped by idol worship, but remember who our God is. Put yourselves into Psalm 115. What would the hopes of the Israelites have been as they returned to their land? Well, there is a family member. You're back in the land. What do you hope for? I take it they probably weren't bad things. They would be perhaps enough money to feed themselves some Security or peace or health or happiness, life. And yet they weren't gullible. Often we, we think they found it easy to believe in a God that they could not see and they had, they had a history that they could look back to. They could see God at work in generations gone by. But I take it they found it as hard as we do to trust in their God. And so the psalmist says, as the nations taunt you, trust him. Whether you're the people or the priests or everyone else who fears him, trust him. Don't you feel that bite? I think it's a very contemporary psalm for us. And look, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, trust him three times, is met with, verse 12 and 13, he will bless you three times. He is powerful. He is their help and their shield. He will protect and provide for you. Whether you are the greatest or the least, whether you are this generation or the next generation, trust him and he will bless you. 
And he will cause his people to flourish and to have life and to grow. And at the end of the psalm, to have life forever. It's eternal. And so he finishes, praise him. Remember who he is. Don't get duped by idols. But remember the true God. Remember where we started with William Wilberforce? The question was, how, how do we grow to become people who, who, for whom their life is all about God and not about themselves, where they want the glory for him entirely and not to share it with us? I take it the answer from Psalm 115 is, that, well, firstly, just be real. Grasp that we're a people who easily get distracted that we feel the lure of idolatry, but then more than that, grasp how worthy and glorious and amazing and kind he is and treasure him. And as we treasure him, verse 8, so we will become more like him. I want to say though, we, we living this side of the cross are very privileged in many ways. It's relevant here because we see more of who God is and we see more of his plan to deal with sin. And we know that the cross changes everything. So I just want to pick up three brief thoughts as to how the cross changes our thinking about idolatry. The first thing to say is because of the cross, remember that you have a new status. Okay, Jesus died for your idolatry. As you worshipped and served so-called other gods, as you went to them instead for life, well, rejoice that, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Pure, clean, obedient, perfect Jesus has no sin. He takes our sin and idolatry and false worship on himself, becomes sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That is, as we trust Jesus, as we are united to him, as we are in him now, so we have a new status. God sees us as righteous, pure, holy, good. Sin is punished and dealt with forever. Jesus died for your idolatry. He died for your sin. The second one is this. Remember that you have a new heart. The Bible says that one of the blessings of the new covenant with believers like us is that we have new hearts. So the prophet Ezekiel says this. Ezekiel 36, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. And you know, that is now us. 
We've been cleansed from our impurities. We've been cleansed from our idols. We have hearts of flesh. We have his spirit living in us. And his spirit helps us to live for him, to keep his laws. You see, that means that that sin now is not inevitable. Idolatry is not inevitable for the Christian. It means that you and I can grow and mature and and defeat idols. We can increasingly become true worshippers because of the new hearts that he's given us and his spirit living in us. Idolatry is not inevitable for the Christian. And yet we need to be realistic. Because you know you and I know me. So new status and new hearts, but also thirdly, remember we have new affections. So dealing with idolatry in Psalm 115, as it always is, is a two-part process. It's not just a question of of getting magnifying glasses out and examining lives or examining one another's lives, identifying the idol and showing how stupid it is to worship it, although those things are good for us. It's just it's a question as well of remembering who our God is. It was the Lord who protected and provided. He was the one who was powerful. He was the shield and the help. He looked after his people. He gave them life. Well, so for us, we don't just examine and search out and hunt out our idols. We, we don't just stop there. We don't just repent, but we rejoice as well. We remember Jesus is the answer. With a sportsman who still limps, we've been healed, but we're learning to walk again. We still bow to old gods. We, we still get caught up in the culture and the gods of the world. Well, so we need to learn to walk. Look, look to him because he's better. Jesus is better. So if your weakness is finding value and identity in what others think of you, if you are a people pleaser, then remember that you are completely secure in Christ. He is completely pleased with you because of Jesus. You can say no to other people. You don't have to worry what they think of you because you know what he thinks of you and that is of far more worth and value. If your weakness is wanting to be in control and you get anxious and you don't because you don't know the future, you don't know what's coming around the next bend, well, rest in him because he's got it covered. He has got it covered. He is good. And none of us knows what tomorrow will bring. But we do know that we can trust him. And he knows. And if your weakness is the mirror, health or fitness or beauty or dieting or eating, whatever, then know that your identity is in him. Stop obsessing about image and look to him. Look outside of yourself. Look to him in his selfless beauty as he dies for you. What he thinks of you matters far more than what others think of you. But all money or wealth or possessions or status or power, look to the one who lived in poverty, who had perfect contentment, who gave it all up to serve and 
and find your identity in him rather than in the money or the power or the possessions or the esteem that others give you because of them. So do you see the answer is we need to to train our hearts to go to Christ and not to the old idols. We need to, to do battle with false worship by engaging in true worship. Which means daily, which may mean hourly, which may mean minute by minute going to him and seeing that he is better. And if this psalm is true, if verse 8 is correct and we, we become like that which we worship, well then increasingly we will become like him. Let's finish on 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As we train ourselves onto Christ, rather than in false gods, so increasingly we will be transformed into his likeness. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we come before you acknowledging our false worship for believing the lies of the things that promise us life, the lure of idolatry. We we confess to you how hard we find it, how easy it is to trust in the tangible, how easy it is to, to live by sight and not by faith. And so we pray that you would help us Help us please to see the futility of worshipping idols. Help us please to remember who you are and your character. And we say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his extraordinary love for us. Thank you for the new status that we have in him. Thank you that he died for our sin, for our idolatry. Thank you for the the new covenant which gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh which can serve you, a heart filled with your spirit as you empower us to live for you. And yet we pray that you would help us in the daily battle of living for Christ. Remind us of a new affection, please. Help us to wean ourselves off trusting those things but rather to trust him and Father we simply don't want this to be information but we want you to help us we long to to contemplate the glory of Christ and so become more like him in his name we pray Amen.